0: Good morning, Elam. You can do better than that. Good morning, Elam. (laughs) I'm not a stranger here. I've been here before some of you were students. I've been here over the years. No reflection on my age, but I've been here before. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Antonelli. It's a joy to to be with you and Debbie and Pastor Chris and Pastor Carol and, and the Elam family. I want to use my time wisely, and so would you bow your heart with me, Please. Father, thank you so much for your incredible kindness to us. I pray that over these next few moments in our chapel time, that you do something in our hearts that's irreversible. Meet with us around scripture. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk with you about a topic I titled, Hope for the Battle. If you have your Bibles, join me in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to camp out there. We're going to spend time looking at the life of the Apostle Paul in regards to prayer. The question that comes to my mind is that, have you ever studied the life of the Apostle Paul, his prayer life, and prayed some of his prayers, and read some of his prayers, and discovered? how he had the kind of no-quit, no-nonsense approach to really advancing the kingdom of God. I wonder what was at the base of giving this man of God the kind of internal fortitude and impetus to have the kind of habits that revolutionized the world. I like to is sneak a look into people's journals. That's where they write their private stuff. I think the habit began before I was a Christian when I was a boy. My sister, Paula, she had this diary, and she's always scribbling and writing in it. And one day when Paula wasn't home, I went into her bedroom, and I searched through all of her stuff, and I got into her dresser drawer, and there was the diary but it had a lock on it. So I got a paper clip, and I opened up the paper clip, and I I just jimmied that lock open. And then I wanted to find out what she was saying, particularly that day, and I flipped right to the page that day. And you know what it says? It says, I hate David. (laughs) I mean, I discovered that's what she really felt about me. But today, when we look at Paul's journal, it's public. It's not private. And we won't hear that he hates us. And the letter to the Ephesians was written from a Roman prison around AD 60 to AD 61. And he was writing a letter to the Ephesian community to help them understand how to face a world that was oftentimes hostile towards the Christian faith. And we know from verse 10 through verse 18, at lists Weapons of warfare, both that are, that are offensive and defensive. But I'd like to take a step back from looking at the weaponry and look at the mindset that we ought to have when we approach having hope for the battle. Meet me in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly heavenly realms. Paul saw himself as a soldier in the army of the Lord. And it's important how you see yourself. You're not just students here. You're soldiers in the army of God. See yourself as in a boot camp. You're being prepared for ministry, not just ministry is taking place now on the campus and in your sphere of influence. Ministry is going to take place once you graduate from this place. But when you graduate, you have to graduate with a certain mindset. It's not just about all of the facts and the data and the academic stuff that you gather. I can show you smart people. I can throw a rock and hit, I tell people I can throw a rock and hit 10 PhDs in my congregation without it bouncing from one pew to the next. I got a lot of academics. There's a difference between someone who can do something for the kingdom. And so the question that frames our talk today is how do you maintain hope for the battle? Answer, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul tells us that our responsibility is to strengthen ourselves in Christ. Be strong speaks of an active strength, it's not a passive one, it's the one that sees the need to secure victory. It's the one that wants to be maintained where you have this fitness for the battle, and you're ready, ready to fight the battle, and you're ready to finish the battle. So I want you to recognize that God is calling us to be strong. And when you think about it, even our nation, as other nations of the world, when individuals are engaged in, in, in the army, sometimes it's a two-year commitment or three-year commitment. Some countries have a four-year requirement. But guess what? The kingdom of God has a lifetime requirement. You can't say you're a a soldier in the army of the Lord for three years. Not with God. This is a lifetime service. Why? Because we're in a perpetual war. And we must understand that when we're in this perpetual war, the mindset that we need to have is very, very important. Because sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that we need to get a breakthrough with God. And so... I love what the historical intercessor, Robert Murray McShane, once said. A great part of my time is getting my heart in tune for prayer. See, it's not even just praying. It's getting ready to pray. And when you think about that, you have to recognize your service in the kingdom of God is about you being constantly ready to be able to do the work of the kingdom. And Paul says, you have to be strong. And when you're strong, it means that you have to be a man or a woman of prayer. That's where we gain our strength. We gain our strength on bended knees. We gain our strength when we have ability to move God who's in in heaven. And we recognize that this God that's everywhere but His throne room we see, as the scripture says, when we bend our knees in prayer, we're in the throne room of heaven. We're in the throne room of God. We have to have power on bended knees. Imagine, you have the ability to move God. E.M. Bounds, the prolific writer and intercessor said, Let it be said at once that a prayerless man in the church of God is like a paralyzed organ of the physical body. So when you think about all of what you're going to learn, you have to be powerful on bended knees. You have to understand how to move God because you're going to find yourselves in circumstances where you need to be strong. And being strong is not about personality, type A personality. Uh, You know, we can do that. It's about you understanding how to move God when you find yourself in a difficult, difficult circumstance. The world is not looking for another smart person. There are lots of them. The world is looking for men and women that can transform their sphere of influence. That's what the world is looking for. In fact, I had an opportunity to lecture at Harvard a couple of years ago. And the topic that was presented to me was the role of religion in American society. So you're in the bastion of, of academia. And I started off by listing all the Nobel Prize winners And there was only about 6% that were atheists. And over 60% were Christians. So I just set the stage. But Harvard did some studies in their Department of Education that recognized that students that were associated with a faith community had better academic outcomes than those who were not. Oftentimes, we as believers... We know the answers. We may not have the social and sociological data to support the answers because we have not studied the sociology of it, but we have the answers because Scripture gives us the answers. And I'm pointing out to you that there's something important that we must understand, and that is Paul says, be strong. Now you're dealing with Paul who's an an intellect. He's an intellectual. But Paul is still, he's listing how we ought to approach spiritual things prayer and the word and the shield of faith we ought to approach with the mindset be strong he also tells us in verse 11 to put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes so we see a second action that paul wants us to take that informs our philosophy and that is take your stand in other words don't be apathetic don't be neutral. Don't be someone that, well, I don't really, I don't really care. Paul is saying that there's something important about us understanding where we are and where we are on, this, on, on whatever side of the issues or where we are as a representative of the kingdom of God. And when Paul was writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Paul says, for every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may, he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. Paul is telling us then, you have to take a stand. And what is a stand that we ought to take? We must advance the kingdom of God. We must be able to pivot quickly. We must be able to innovate. We must not get stuck on methods that are old and fossilized and concretized. We must be able to say, God, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do that's new, that's avant-garde, that's, that, that's innovative. So that's nuanced so we can reach people today. We're called to reach lost people for Christ and we have to find ways to reach them. Every generation must have that as its focal point. And this is our time now. And so we must be able to do that. And so I'm pointing out to you that Paul is telling us, take a stand. Reach people. Minister the word in ways that are clear and powerful. I love what one of the mentors that have mentored me by way of books, Charles Spurgeon, what he said. Spurgeon said... If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth or in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. I mean, this is heavy stuff. What Spurgeon is telling us is this, is that no matter what goes on in society you as a Christ follower must take a stand that you want to be a soul winner and you want to be a man and a woman of prayer that's going to pray heaven down and pray hell to dissipate in regards to its influence on people. You want to be a soul winner. And I'm saying to you, this campus was built on men and women, their vision, their, their, on their shoulders, on their sacrifice that says, we want to go to the end of the earth to expand the kingdom of God. And when they handed to you this campus and handed to you this academic institution, they're saying that on your watch, don't allow our mission to drift into something else, something other, something other than what it was intended to be and to do. This institution was established to raise up men and women who are powerful on bended knees, powerful in word ministry, powerful in ministry of the whole. Holy Spirit, powerful in soul-winning. It's a mindset that you must have when you think about academics. It's not just education. It must be a spiritual formation that shapes the way you look and think. And you must then recognize Christianity, we are not a cruise ship. We're a battleship. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise. I've been on three of them before. Anybody have been on a cruise? You ever seen a cruise? You ever seen a cruise ship? You ever watched a cruise on television? Well, you have, a, you have an idea. I, I took a cruise, my wife and I, up the coast of Alaska. And we took a cruise on the Baltic Sea. And we took a cruise, our third cruise was on the Aegean Sea when we went to the Isle of Patmos to see the cave where John the, John the Revelator, John the Apostle had his vision. But I must tell you, there are times the believers in Christ were so apathetic and unmoved about spiritual things and the goal of advancing the kingdom of God that we have misconstrued the kingdom of God to think that we're on a cruise ship rather than a battleship. Let me contrast the difference. Cruise ship mentality says we're on vacation. Battleship mentality says we're at war. Cruise ship mentality says it's all about me. Battleship mentality says it's all about God. Cruise ship mentality says I'm here to relax. Battleship mentality says I'm here to fight. Cruise ship mentality says I must be served by the crew. Battleship mentality says I am the crew. Cruise ship mentality says I freely complain because I deserve to be served fast and frequent on this cruise ship. Battleship mentality says, I freely praise because I was chosen to serve on the king's battleship. See, on the cruise ship, prayer is seen as a bother, a pest. On the battleship, prayer is seen as a necessity, a must. On the the cruise ship mentality says, the next stop will bring more fun. The battleship mentality says, the next stop will bring more deliverance. Cruise ship mentality says that the ship sails towards the sun, S-U-N. Battleship mentality says the ship sails for the sun, S-O-N, capital S-O-N. Cruise ship mentality, a cruise ship docks during wartime. Battleship sails during wartime. We're in a war, folks. This is not cruise ship This is not cruise ship Christian center. This is battleship that God's called us to don our weapons and to be able to be on this battleship and to advance the kingdom of God. Cruise ship mentality sees God as as the jovial entertainment director. Battleship mentality sees God as the fearless general. It is a different mindset. It is a different perspective. I remember one of the biggest battles I had to face as a pastor, was when our church was buying property that was about 25 minutes west of one of our campuses. It's a property, 107-acre property. Think about a property with lots of trees, look like almost this idyllic vacation spot. You have buildings on there that some total some 300,000 square feet of space, 1,000 parking spots, soccer fields, baseball fields, basketball courts. Volleyball courts, all that, and we're going to buy it. And it was zoned for a church. But the township, they dug their heels in and saying you'll never get this. When we locked in contractually, all hell broke loose. I'm talking about to the point where uh, this fight went on for three and a half years publicly and then three and a half years privately. For about two years, I had to have armed bodyguards because it was so contentious. I'm talking about every week you'll see TV cameras, CBS News, ABC, NBC, in our sanctuary filming because they want to. They, the media loves a fight. The township even did illegal things, passing laws in the middle of an application to try to thwart us from being able to use the property. They, met, they then said since your church is one of the largest churches in New Jersey, It may be a site where terrorists want a bomb. So the building that you're going to build, we need you to, when the elevators you put in, it must withstand bombs. Now, I have two degrees in engineering. My first is mechanical. My graduate is civil. I've never heard of you building a building that can withstand bombs. How do you build a building so that when a bomb is thrown at it, it won't blow up? I've never heard of that. And so I went into prayer and said, God, I I don't know what to do. You you ever have a problem thrown at you that's above your pay grade? It's above your intelligence, and you need to go before God. And so I went before God. I said, God, I, I just don't know what to do. Week one, I'm praying. Week two, I'm praying. My architect gives me a call, and he says, Reverend Ireland, I don't know why this didn't dawn on me before, but I remember I was at a conference some months ago in the Midwest, and I met the first fire engineering graduate in America. I never knew there was such a discipline as fire engineering. And so he said, this is the engineer that designed the fire suppression system for NASA. When they shoot up the rockets to the moon, he's the one who designed the fire suppression system. Would you like me to give him a ring and see if we can retain his services? I said, give him a ring. We locked him in as our contractor. He comes in. He's, he's a guy. And I'm short. On a good day when the wind is blowing my hair and all ends stand up, I'm 5-7. This guy's shorter than me. He walks into the room. Imagine a room that's about, I don't know, maybe four or 500 people. Everybody's angry at you. And then you have behind you on the front there on the dais, the, all the city officials. And they're there looking mean, each one meaner in, in the facial appearance than the other. Because they're angry. They just don't want our church there. And so I'm sitting there, and you put a smile when you're with Angry Who, you just smile. You just know you smile. <laughs> I'm, to my left is my land use attorney, and to my right was the fire engineer and consultant from NASA. When they read off his, his resume, I mean, it's already, I mean, when you say on your resume, I, you know, design fire suppression system for NASA, he didn't even call them rockets. He said, when we shot up the cans, He said, when we shot up the cans to the moon, we didn't build and put in such such an impressive fire suppression system as what you're asking of this church. In my simple opinion, and I don't know too much about fire retardation, He's, uh, so he's, he's being very humble about it. He said, I don't know too much about fire retardation. But in my humble opinion, what you're asking of this church is outlandish. It, you know, I, I suggest you throw it out because it's ridiculous. And so, they, you know, you should have seen their fire consultant because his resume is like, you know, I put out a firecracker for my kid. I mean, so you, you, can't, you, you, you just you can't compare. You can't compare. And so he's there. He's, it's like a chameleon. He's changing every color because he's embarrassed and he knows there's no way that his opinion versus the opinion of our guy is even going to compete. You can't compete. And so they throw out that, that, that requirement for us. My point to you is this. When you take a stand in prayer and when you believe God, that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask and all that you imagine god has people everywhere and he can get in touch with anybody anywhere and when you're in a fight prayer is god's invitation into your fight and you need to be powerful on bended knees and so i point out to you from sacred scripture That the Apostle Paul was modeling for us that we're not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship. And I pray that each of you students, when you, as you take in all of the knowledge that your professors will present to you, and you go through all of the assignments and paperwork, and you get informed, and you grow in your academic prowess, don't forget to grow in your power of on bended knees. It's one of the most apathetic things is to see smart people that are very weak. I hate to see Christians that are so intellectually strong but so spiritually weak. And nowadays we have people that have more degrees than, than anybody and yet they can't do anything. I want you not to be in that category. I want you to be someone, as Paul tells us, his philosophical framework to spiritual warfare and deal with a hostile society, hostile against the Christian faith. He tells us that we ought to be strong. And then he tells us to take a stand. And finally, may I tell you, he's telling us from scripture, keep fighting. Kneeling warriors learn to keep fighting. You, you, I'd love to tell you that, man, you can only fight, you, you only have to fight like five years and two months and two weeks and it's all over. The rest of your Christian walk, you just skate along. Hey, you know, I used to be an atheist, so, so I came from a world of atheism. In my undergraduate, I was like the Paul on the campus. I was looking for Christians to try to convert them into atheism. And so they had stopped praying for me. They said, David Ireland, is, he's, his mind has been seared. He is reprobate. God can't save him. That was the conclusion. And so you should have seen some of them. In fact, I have one of the ladies that she's on my staff now. <laughs> that, that, that used to think that there's no way this guy can ever get saved. He's just, he's just too far gone. He's hopeless. Let's just write him off. Some are destined to hell. He's one of them. You know, but, but I mean, can you imagine that kind of conclusion? But, this, but there, I'm thankful that there was a remnant on the campus that they gathered together in a dorm and they used to pray. Had I known that I was the topic of their prayer on a Friday night, I'd have busted up that prayer meeting and i known it. They used to pray. They prayed this crazy prayer, and they told me afterwards. They said we used to pray, God, put David Ireland into a spiritual box that wherever he turns, he sees you. Man, that prayer worked. I went to the YMCA, which is about a mile away from the campus. I went there in a weight room, and I'm in the weight. The weight room is empty, and I'm just doing some bench pressing. I'm just sitting there, just pumping up those barbells, trying to deal with my pecs. And then this big guy walks in, all chiseled. And he has a deep voice. And he said, hey, man, you want me to spot you? Now, that's weightlifting term to mean, I'll stand behind the bench. And if the weight gets too heavy, it's about to cave in on your chest, I'll stand behind it and just hoist it up. And you push it up, so you're good. So I deepened my voice. I said, yeah, man, spot me. I said, just spot me. So, he, so I'm on the bench, and then I just put on the next five pounds and the next five pounds. And so uh, and then he's pulling it up, and then he says, he looks over, and he looks down at me, and he says, hey, man, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and so I just quickly I threw that barbell on the rack. I said, so I, we, we started to, he calls it witnessing. I call it arguing. I said, there's no Jesus. What do you mean? Here in the weight room, there's no Jesus. And so I said, man, next time I go to Y, I'm not going to go to the weight room because that crazy guy may be there. So next time I went to the Y, I went to the pool. So I'm in the swimming pool. You're in this pool now. It's about, there's eight lanes. There are only three lanes being used. One that I'm using, two on the other end being occupied by these two ladies. There are five other lanes that are empty. This guy comes into the swimming pool. He jumps in my lane. Now you have to understand, I grew up in New York City. You don't want anybody close to you, not even your mother. What do you, what do you, do? you stay over there? I stay over here. I mean, it's it's just that's the mindset. So I'm thinking, what does this clown want to say to me? He got all these lanes. Why is he coming in my lane? And I'm on the other end now. He's swimming towards me. And then when he gets there, he lifts his head up, and first thing he says, Hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> And it wasn't the guy from the weight room, It's was another guy. The guy in the weight room was a black guy, this is a white guy. So I got it in black and white. And so here I am now, this guy's talking about Jesus in, in the swimming pool, so he calls it witnessing, I call it arguing, I'm talking about him need to be an atheist, he's telling me I need to be a follower of Jesus, and so we part ways. So that summer I got a job, as a am a junior in college, I got a job working for a telemarketing company, and my job was to... You know, our marketing company. We were hired by Snickers, the candy bar company, and they wanted to find out what women between the age of 18 to 25 thought about Snickers candy bar. And back then, you'd go into this this almost like a this mobile home, this van that you can show a 30-second commercial and get their information. What do you think about the commercial? What they? And then ask them a bunch of questions. And so they brought us right in the heart of New York City, right there. It's like almost like on Broadway, and this is my category. I'm a single guy. I'm 19, 18 to 25-year-old women. That's my category. I'm going to stay here all day, all night. I'm, this is my category. So I'm, I'm asking her. So I'm saying, this pretty lady comes down. I said, ma'am, do you have time to take a survey? She said, sure. So I bring her in the van, show her the commercial, ask her questions, take down her data. And then I, you, you'd give them a dollar for just a, taking a few minutes out of their time. Here's a dollar. Thank you. And then I said, apart from the company, maybe you and I can get together. Do you mind sharing your number? She said, sure. She wrote down her name, wrote down her number, slid it across the desk. And then she looked up at me and said, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I mean, everywhere I went, it was that, there was this question. I threw that paper away when she walked. I said, I want nothing to do with this Jesus. I want you to understand, when God has his perspective is eyes locked in on you you must realize you're going to become a follower and Paul when he told Timothy that we ought to keep fighting in essence in 2nd Timothy 2 verse 3 the apostle says as a good soldier of Christ Jesus you must endure your share of suffering soldiers on duty don't work at outside jobs they try only to please their commanding officer." So I've been pleasing my commanding officer and striving to please my commanding officer since July 6, 1982, at 10 p.m. That's when I met Jesus. And I've been walking with him since that moment. In fact, the next day, I started sharing my faith with people because the transformation was so real. I'm asking you the question about, you need to have a mindset your mindset is that you must be strong. Your mindset is that, as Paul is telling, telling Timothy, you must keep fighting. You must take your stand. And when you think about you know, maintaining a posture of being a fighter and not being weak and being flabby spiritually, that it's not about just four years in college, in a Bible college, you're strong. It's afterwards, you gotta grow from, from this strength to the next strength. I remember during World War II, which is from 1939 to 1945, Japanese soldier Lieutenant Hiro Onara was sent in 1941 to a small U.S. occupied island in the Philippines. He was given the orders, do all you can to hamper enemy attacks on the island. He linked up with other soldiers that were there. And in a few months, all of them, except for four of the men had been killed in battle. Hero, he took to the hills, but he kept on just doing everything to create havoc on that island and to fight against Americans. In 1945, he started to see pamphlets saying that the war was over falling from the sky. He thought it was all enemy propaganda. Onada, he kept on doing everything he can to hamper the enemy. In 1974, 29 years later, as he's there up in the hills, he meets a student, not from Elam, he meets a student that was with a backpack walking through the, walking through the island and the student says to him, the war has been over for 29 years. But Onada still wouldn't put down his arms. Finally, his former commanding officer Long since retired, flew to the island and gave Onada his orders to lay down his arms. In 1974, a Japanese delegation walked Onada out of the forest, having held his post for 29 years. I wanted to simply point out to you, like Lieutenant Onada, you need to keep fighting and you don't lay down your arms until Jesus, our commanding officer, says to you, lay down your arms. I want to call you back, Elam, to your roots as a school of prayer. I want to call you back to your roots of being strong in the Lord. I want to call you back to your roots of seeing yourself as a mighty kneeling warrior. I want to call you back to see yourself as someone who knows not to lay down your arms. I want to call you to the place where you can be what God's called you to be a powerful powerful intercessor a powerful powerful missionary a powerful powerful minister of the gospel why because Jesus when he died for your sins he died that you may be able to be salt and light in the world around and may I say to you one of the greatest things you can ever do is to get on fire for God and stay on fire for God Come on, someone give the Lord a battle cry. Come on, students.